0: So today I'm going to talk about the book of Daniel, chapter number one, and we're going to allude to a few verses there. I'm not going to read right now. I'm just going to start my sermon and then we'll go back to the scriptures, but we're going to deal with Daniel, chapter number one. And this morning, I'm going to preach a thought called no compromise. Would you say that with me this morning? Oh, I think you can do better than that. Can you say it real loud? There you go. There you go. That sounds real good. Thank you so much. No compromise. And I want you to open your hearts up. I know that you will. And we're going to hear what the Lord has to speak. Can you pray with me? Lord, open our ears. Open our hearts. We'd hear from you. And everyone said, amen. No compromise. You know, I've learned this, that if you're going to do anything worthwhile in life, it's gonna take commitment. If you're gonna get serious about anything, I mean knows it's gonna take commitment. If you're gonna make progress in anything, it's gonna take commitment. If you're gonna get a degree, you gotta be, you gotta be committed at it. If you're gonna get healthy, I mean knows that's gonna, you gotta be. What is it that every Monday is like a start over, you know? You ever thought about that? You eat wrong for a few days, and you're like, "Well, I'll just start on Monday." How many knows Monday never comes. <laughs> so, if you're going to get healthy, you got to be what? If you're going to get a degree, you got to be If you're going to build muscles, do you think you can build muscles by going to the gym about twice a month? No. You got to Be committed. I hired a personal trainer a few weeks ago, and I'm trying to, you know, get in shape, trying to build muscles so I can impress Tiffany. I'm just joking. I'm not doing too good at it because I just ate a whole pie yesterday (laughs) that she made. (laughs) Would you extend grace to me? Stretch your hands and say, Lord, help, pastor, help, help. Help me, Lord. I fell off the bandwagon, and it was bad, bad, bad. I ate, I ate some at like uh, 11 o'clock. I ate some. <laughs> then last night I, when I dropped her home, I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to have one more piece of that. <laughs> I just cleaned it up. But that's all right. Come on. Somebody say amen. I love sweets and chocolate. And uh, Carrie Allenball. just pray for me. I, I'm trying to get healthy, all right? So, it, it, But, you know, you've got to be committed. Everybody say, I've got to be committed. Do you know that applies to your spiritual life too? If you're going to make progress in your spiritual life, you know that takes commitment. Being a Christian takes commitment. Now, some people are just nonchalant about their Christianity. Some people are half-hearted. Some people are one foot in and one foot out. Some people are just mediocre mediocre about their Christianity. Some people are just lukewarm. You know, whatever will be will be. But if you're going to really, really be a Christian, if you're really going to be sold out to God, it really does take commitment. It takes sacrifice. It takes perseverance. And it takes, I'm not sure if this is correct English, but I'll throw it out there. It takes stickability. You know, you got to stick at it. You can't just give up. Now, in my years of ministry, I've seen lots of people just give up when it gets hard. But you know, as a Christian, you got to stick with it and you got to be committed through the good times and the bad times, through the valleys and through the mountains. Now, is there anybody that can wave your hand and say, "Pastor, I've been through some rough times as a Christian and through some valleys and I'm still here today." Is there anybody could say, "I've been through some rough times and I'm still here today." So you got to be all in if you're really serious about this thing. Well, you know, 99%, it it just doesn't cut it. Now, somebody did a study years ago and said this, that if you gave your 99% to things, what type of life would you get? Like, what would you get if you only gave 99%? Now, I thought that the study was odd. But I I looked at the study, and I think it makes sense. This person concluded that if you only gave 99% in life, this is perhaps what might happen. Number one, no phone service for 15 minutes a day. 1.7 million pieces of first-class mail would be lost. 35,000 newborn babies would be dropped by doctors and nurses every year. 200,000 people would be getting the wrong drug prescription each year. Yes, that would not be good. Unsafe drinking water three days a year. Three misspelled words on the average page of type. And two million people would die from food poisoning each year. That means if people looked at life and your career of only giving 99%, that would not be good. You know, I have never... Pastor Brandy, could you, uh, Tiffany, give me my water. I have never went to the store, and I have never bought a bottle of water. Thank you. I have never bought a bottle of water, and it said 99% pure water and 1% sewage. Have you? Now, let's be honest. Would you buy a bottle of water if it was 99% pure? and 1% sewage. Why wouldn't you? Because you want 100% pure water. How many knows that 99% pure water and 1% sewage is not very good? Therefore, if you're going to be serious about God, you got to give your 100%. Everybody say 100%. You know, it kind of reminds me of an Old Testament story that kind of demonstrates the importance of 100%. Now, the story has one interpretation, but what I like to do is just bring out a life application of the story. I like to bring out a life application. It's not the interpretation of it. It's just a life application. Now, you don't have to turn there. The story is found in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse number 24. Now, I'm sure you've heard of this story. King Solomon was the king of Israel, Now, the Bible says that King Solomon had a lot of wisdom. Everybody said lots of wisdom. And he was known for his words of wisdom. He was known for taking care of disputes. And people would come to him, and with his great wisdom, it would bring resolution to their problems. Well, one day, the Bible says, two women came to him. Two women. And they both were arguing over their baby. Look at verse number 24. 1 Kings. Then the king said... Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. Verse number 25 says, And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and one half go to one, and the other half to the other. The Bible says in verse uh, 26, Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion with her son and said, O oh my Lord, give the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. And now look at what King Solomon said. But the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. Now, it's an odd story. King Solomon's full of wisdom. These two women are arguing over a baby. You know, one of them was the true mother. Maybe the other one was the babysitter. But they were arguing over the baby. And King Solomon, in his wisdom, said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I want the child to be divided. And through the process, he discovered who the true mother was. Now, the life application of this story is this. Anything that's divided don't bring life. Anything that's divided doesn't produce life. Nobody wants a half baby, and nobody wants 99% pure water and, and a 1% sewage water. You want a hundred percent, because a hundred percent produces life, a hundred percent produces momentum. a hundred percent hundred percent produces faith. You see, as a Christian, you can't have divided faith, you can't have compromised faith, and you can't have faith that's divided, because faith that is whole, faith that is active, faith that is whole and complete produces momentum in your life. It's a living faith. A divided faith is not a living faith. Could you say that with me this morning? A divided faith is not a living faith. Say it again. A divided faith is not a living faith. God is asking you 100%. Now, I want you to do some self-examination this morning. I believe that's always important for a Christian. I try to do that. Sometimes I'm not perfect at it. Neither are you, but all of us are struggling together here. I want you to ask yourself the question, am I 100% in? Am I giving all to my faith? Am I? Is my Christianity 100%? Am I committed? Do I have a divided faith? Do I have one foot in and one foot out? Is all of my heart in this thing? Listen, you don't want 99% pure water and a 1% sewage. You want 100% water. I'm asking you this morning to pray about this. I'm asking you to ask the Lord, Lord, what ways can I be, com- what ways can I be complete in you? What ways, can I be, uh, f- what ways can I be 100% in you? Is there certain parts of my life that's not completely surrendered to you? Now, we come to a story this morning that I think is interesting. And I think that the story demonstrates to me and demonstrates to you the importance of being committed. There was a few guys in the Old Testament, and I'm sure you've heard of these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they had a friend by the name of Daniel. Now, when I was in Sunday school, we never associated Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but they were all friends. Everybody say they're all friends. Everybody say this to me, Shadrach, Meshach. And Abednego. Now, aren't you glad that we have different names for our kids nowadays? Abednego, it's time for bed. You know, you know, it just doesn't flow, does it? Abednego, do you want a Happy Meal? You know, it just don't. But anyway. <laughs> but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had a friend by the name of Daniel. Now, I don't want to confuse you. Because I firmly believe each of you have a hunger for the Word, and each of you love the Lord, and each of you have a desire to understand the Scriptures. I know that. You're here. So let me explain to you what happens. Remember in the Old Testament, God had a group of people, and they were called the Jews or the Hebrews. And the Old Testament is about this group of people. A lot of people get confused about the Old Testament, but the Old Testament's really simple. It's just about a group of people that God said, I'm going to give you a piece of land. That land is called Israel. You're going to live there, and you're going to show the whole world that there's one God. But in the Old Testament, these people, God's people, they got in trouble all the time. Do you know what they did? They started worshiping other gods. And that is why you have all the prophets, Amos, Malachi, Zechariah, all of these prophets are writing to these people and telling these people, you need to repent. And these prophets are telling these people that God is faithful and God loves you. God wants you to come back and remember the covenant He made with you. That's what the Old Testament's about. Well, guess what? These This group of people refused to repent. They were worshiping their false gods. And guess what happened? The neighboring country, the Babylonians, came in and destroyed their city, took about 4,000 some men, took them out of the city, and brought them to Babylon. It's kind of like Russia coming into Joplin and taking all of us to Russia. And we have to live there. That's what happened. It's The Babylonians came in and took some of those Jews, destroyed their temple, destroyed their land, and took them to Babylon. And guess who's in Babylon now? Shadrach. Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. You know why they're there? Because Daniel chapter number one said they're good looking, they're strong, and they're muscular. I mean, who wouldn't want them? The Babylonians are thinking, boy, you guys would be great working in our kingdom. You're good looking, you're strong, and you're muscular. Daniel chapter number one, I want you to see what happens here. Daniel chapter number one, And I want you to see verse number four, Daniel 1 and verse 4. I want you to see the scripture behind me. The Bible says that these people were young men. They had no blemish. They were good looking. I don't know about you, but this is a good resume here. These guys are good looking, no blemish. I mean, they're gifted. So guess what? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, they're good looking. They're smart. They dress good. they had muscles, you know, they were masculine. Hell. And they had all the qualities to serve with the king. Now, let me say this. Where are they living? They're living in Babylon, right? They're living in a pagan system. They're living in a system that does not honor God. Remember? Remember? In their own land, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, in their own land, they worshiped the God of Israel, the true God. But now they're in Babylon, and they're in a different environment, in a dis- different system, and they had to adjust. And I want you to see in this story quickly that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, especially Daniel, did not compromise their standard they did not let their standard down they were not men of compromise they were men of character they were men of integrity they did not compromise their walk with god now quickly i want to go through what happens here i want you i want to go through what happens here and i want you to see what happens in this story all right number 1 i want you to see isolation everybody say isolation isolation. So I want you to look at verse number 3, Daniel chapter 1 and verse number 3. The king instructed that the master of the eunuchs to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. So number one, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel were isolated. They were taken from their homeland and they were brought to Babylon They were isolated. Everybody say isolated. Everybody say isolated. In other words, they were removed from their family. They were removed from Israel. They were removed from their mothers and fathers. They were removed from their environment. In other words, Babylon, the new society, the new country that they're living in, they wanted to reprogram them. They wanted to isolate them first and reprogram them. I want to say this, is that any time we're struggling, any time the enemy is after us, the very first thing that will happen to each of us is isolation. The enemy wants to isolate us from people. He wants to isolate us from the church. He wants to isolate us from the community and the Word of God. Any time there's struggle, any time there's something wrong, isolation is the first key the first characteristic that you're taking a step back you see the adam and eve what did they do when they sinned they isolated themselves and hid themselves and god said where are you and that's exactly what god is saying today where are you why are you hiding from me why are you hiding in your sin because that's what we do when we feel we feel like Uh, we're in sin or we feel like our heart is drifting. We want to isolate. And the first thing that happens in this story is that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel was taken from Israel, and now they're in a new country, in a new land. They're isolated, and the purpose of the isolation was to reprogram how they think. You're in a new system. you got to eat the way we eat now. you got to serve our gods you got to do what we do. You're in Babylon now. Number two, I want you to look at verse number four. Verse number four. These young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted on all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, of whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. So the second thing I want you to see in this story is not only isolation, but indoctrination indoctrination. I want you to look at verse number four. The Bible says the Chaldeans, which is the Babylonians, they wanted to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Look at verse number four. Do you see at the end there? He wanted to teach them the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. So do you see what's happening here? Babylon took these men and isolated them Took them away from their families. Took them away from Israel. Put them in Babylon. They're isolated from everyone. Number two, Babylon wants to indoctrinate them. They want to brainwash them. Look at verse number four. He wanted, the Babylonians wanted to teach them the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Wanted to retrain the way they think. Wanted to retrain them. Teach them the language and literature of the Chaldeans. Listen, you know what they wanted to do? The Babylonians wanted to say, we want you to forget about your Christian heritage or your Jewish heritage. We want to brainwash you. We want to put you in school and re-educate you. You know what what the Babylonians are saying? We want to de-Israelite you and pro-Babylon you. We want to teach you the literature and the language of our culture. We we have taken you from Israel. We've taken you from your God. We've taken you from your land. We've brought you to Babylon. We've isolated you. Now we wanted to brainwash you. We want you to learn our language. We want you to learn our literature. We want you to learn the language and literature of the Chaldeans. They were indoctrinating these people. They were de-Israeliting them and making them Babylonians in their thought and the way they do things. Now, not only do you see isolation and indoctrination, I want you to see gratification. I want you to see gratification. I want you to look at verse number five. Look at verse number five in this story. And the king appointed for them daily provisions of the king's delicacies and wine, which he drank. And they were in three years of training for them so that at the end of it, they may serve the king. So guess what the gratification was? If you will learn our language, if you'll go to school, isolation, if you'll leave Israel, we've isolated you. If you learn the culture and the language of the Chaldeans, if you learn our language, learn our culture, if you do it for three years, we'll give you the food from the king and we'll also let you serve in the palace. It's gratification. We'll give you a government job. If you do what we tell you to do, you get to work for the government. You get to work for the king. Do you see how the enemy, do you see the life application of the story? The enemy always starts with isolation. Then he tries to change the way you think, indoctrination. Because if he can change the way you think, He can change your behavior, and if he can do that, he can control you. Isolation, indoctrination, gratification, and now the king said, if you do exactly what I tell you, if you go to school for three years and you learn our language and learn our culture, then we'll give you a job in my palace. Boy, isn't that what the enemy does? He entices you and gives things to you. If you do exactly what I tell you to do, I'll give this to you. He told Jesus, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Gratification. I'll give you something. Now, not only do you have isolation, indoctrination, gratification, then number four, I want you to look at identification. You know what the Babylonians begin to do? They begin to change their names. Everybody shout this real loud, as loud as you can say it. They change their names. One, two, three. So do you see what the Babylonians are doing? They isolated them. Brainwashed them. Right? I'm going to give you a job at the king's palace. You do what I tell you to do. And then identification, they begin to change their names. Babylon begins to change. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, they begin to change their names. Verse number 7. Look at verse number 7. Daniel's name was changed to what? Belshazzar. Hananiah. Shadrach, uh, Mishael, Meshach, Ezariah, Abednego. They changed their names. In other words, look at this. Look at this. Daniel, the end of Daniel, in English is E-I-L, right? Daniel. But I-E, I-E-L, excuse me, that last part of Daniel's name represents a Jewish heritage. I think his name means God is my judge. And then you have Shadrach, or excuse me, you have that Hananiah, you have Mishael, you have Ezariah. These are Jewish names. And God was a part of their name. So when a Jew would name their baby, it had significance to it. So Daniel's name is a Jewish name. It represented his heritage. It represented the true God. Hananiah, Mishael, Ezariah, these are Jewish names. But Babylon said, no, we're going to name you Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And do you know those names? And Belshazzar, do you know those names are pagan god names? They're named after Babylonian names of gods. So you know what Babylon did? Babylon isolated these men. Babylon brainwashed these men. Babylon said, you can work in my government if you will listen to me. And then Babylon said, We're changing your names. Now, why did they change their names? Because Babylon is saying, we don't want you to remember the God of Israel. We don't want you to remember your Jewish heritage. We don't want you to remember how your life was in Israel. We don't want you to remember that. You are now in Babylon. You must worship our gods you must eat the way we eat. You must learn our literature. We're going to brainwash you. We're going to tell you what to do, and you're going to serve our gods, and we're going to change your name to after our gods. Do you see what's happening here? But I, 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 I'm going to say something because I think this is awesome. Babylon changed Daniel's name to Belshazzar. But the name of the book is still Daniel. Because when God puts a name on you, the enemy cannot reverse it. The enemy cannot reverse it. The book is called Daniel because what God said in motion, what God said always stands true even if the enemy has come and changed your name. And can I just stop and say here, the enemy has come to some of you and said your name is shame, your name is hurt, Your name is guilt. Your name is, you fill in the blank. But that's not your name anymore. Your name is child of God. Your name is righteous. Your name is, you're my son and you're my daughter. You can't listen to what the enemy has said. You've got to learn to listen to what God has already called you. Is there anybody that can wave your hand and say, thank God, I'm going to go by His name and not by the name of the enemy. Amen. Amen. Identification. They changed his name. Now, I want you to look at verse number 8. Verse number 8. Verse number 8 says, but Daniel... Now isn't it interesting, the writer here doesn't refer to him as Belshazzar. But Daniel, because how many knows what God had said is more important than what Babylon says. But look at verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now hold on here. Now I'm really excited about the Bible. And I'm really excited about the story, so I just got to calm down a little bit. Do you see what's happening here? Babylon, remember, isolated them, took them from their home, now they're in a different country. What else did the enemy do? Babylon also indoctrinated them. you got to learn the literature and the culture. Number three, gratification. You can have a job in the king's palace. Identification. We're changing your names. We don't want you to remember the God of Israel. We're de-Israeliting you. And now, verse number eight, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not eat the king's food. Now, what does that have to do with anything? Because in Babylon, their food was cooked on altars to their gods. So if you eat the food, it means that you worship their gods. In a few moments, we're going to eat bread and drink juice. There's a similarity, isn't there? But in Babylon, if you eat of the food, you worship their gods. And Daniel said, he said, I'm not going to eat your food. Now, Daniel said, Daniel said, OK, OK, I left my country. There ain't nothing I could do about that because you made me come. You forced me to be here. You destroyed my city. I got to be here with my three friends. You, and, you, you want me to read your books? OK, I can read your books. You're going to give me a job. All right, I can work a job because if I don't work, I don't eat, so I need a job. You change my name. I can live with that. But there's one thing, the last thing you see here is determination. He is saying, I am not going to compromise my standard with God. In other words, he says, he says I am not going to eat the food that the king has prepared because if I eat it, that means I'm worshiping their gods. And I, Daniel, purposed in my heart that, listen, 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 I've made up my mind and drew a line in the sand. I am not compromising my faith in God. I will go to your schools. I will go to your job. I will do all that, but I'm not giving up on my God. I'm not going to give up on my faith To please the culture. He drew a line in the sand. I'm not giving up my faith. I'm not selling out my faith. I'm not going to do that. I am going to stay true to my heritage. I'm going to stay true to my God. I will read your books. I will go to your job. I will go to your schools. I will listen to you. You can change my name, but you're not changing my heart. I am going to be true to my God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Is there anybody in the building that can wave your hand and say, listen, 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 pastor, we too, we too are living in a foreign land. Look at this spiritually. You too are living in a foreign land. You are living in a spiritual Babylon. That's our reality. You've got to attend school in Babylon. Babylon represents the world. It represents the culture That is against God. You and I live in Babylon. We live in Babylon. We go to school in Babylon. We work in Babylon. We live in a pagan environment. But we got a group of people in Galena, Kansas, that although we live in Babylon, we refuse to compromise our faith in God. We will not satisfy the culture. We will not placate to the voice of humanism. We will not gratify the demands of our society. We will not bow down to the gods of Babylon. Hallelujah. I am not going to flinch in the face of sacrifice. I'm not going to hesitate in the presence of adversity. I'm not going to negotiate at the table of the enemy. I'm not going to ponder at the pool of popularity. And I refuse to meander in the maze of mediocrity. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to shut up. I'm not going to back down. I cannot be but. I cannot be compromised. I cannot be detoured. I cannot be lured away. I'm not going to turn back. I'm not going to deny my faith. He is the God of my life. And I refuse to bow down to Babylon. I will not bow down to Babylon. Daniel made a decision that although I work in Babylon and although I go to school in Babylon and although you've changed my name, you're not going to change my heart. I'm going to stay true to God. Hallelujah. And isn't it interesting in closing isn't it interesting? Daniel chapter 3 verse 18. Isn't it interesting that Daniel's three friends refused to bow down to the golden image? Daniel chapter 3 verse 18. They refused to bow down. I love the book of Daniel because you see an attitude of no compromise. And they refused to compromise. Daniel chapter 3 in verse 18, the king said, if you don't bow down to my image, I'm going to turn it up seven times hotter. And guess what happens? This is what they said. They said, but even if he doesn't deliver us, O oh king, we're not going to serve your gods nor worship your golden image that you have set up. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to compromise. They said, even if... God, don't deliver me. It doesn't change my faith. Even if people do die and I don't understand it, it's not going to change my faith. Even if people get angry and mad and upset, it's not going to change my faith. My faith is not built upon the opinions and approval of people. My faith is built upon what I know to be true, and I know the gospel is true. He refused to bow down. I like that type of faith. Even if He doesn't, I'm not going to bow. Even if my prayers are not answered, I'm still committed. Even if things happen in life that has torn my heart out, I'm still going to be committed. Because my faith cannot be bought. faith cannot be turned around. Daniel chapter 6 Remember verse number five, they came to Daniel. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's interesting. What happens is the king, the king looked in. He said, I thought I threw three men in. I see a fourth man in there. Isn't it interesting? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't even know there was a fourth man in the fire. fire. It was the king who saw it. Sometimes when you're going through the fire of life, you don't even know God's with you. But everybody else looks at you and says, I know God's with him because he would have gave up a long time ago. (laughs) Sometimes we don't even see it. And Daniel Daniel is faced with compromise again. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. And what happens to Daniel? The Bible says, when he knew that the writing was signed, he went home to his upper room Opened the windows towards Jerusalem, knelt down, began to pray three times, and prayed and gave thanks to God before his God as it was his custom in early days. They signed a decree. Chapters later said, You can't pray to no other God but the Babylonian gods. And you know what Daniel said? He said, Well, I already told you folks in chapter one, I'm not eating your food. And I'm going to tell you in chapter 6, I'm not going to worship your gods. So he went home and opened up his windows and prayed like he usually prayed because he wanted the whole city of Babylon to know I am not compromising nor worshiping your false gods. Hallelujah! And I pray today that this church, I know you have a heart for God. I know you love God. You're here. I pray today that we would stand up for our faith in a culture that is controlled by Babylon. And you say, Pastor, it's hard. I know it's hard. It really is. When you're bombarded six days a week, I, I know. But the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. He'll give you the words to speak. He'll give you the strength that you need so that you can be the overpowering Christian that you can be. I'm asking you, would you invite somebody to church? I'm asking you, would you invite somebody that don't go to church? Invite them bring them to church. And if they say no, that's okay. Don't give up. Let's continue to invite people to church. Amen.